0: Excuse me. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hello. Uh, so we uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so we uh, we've been talking uh, about worship in this series, and and tonight we're going to talk about worship in our relationships. Um, and I want to start off just by saying, uh, relationships is a giant topic. I mean, we could talk about relationships for all semester if we wanted to. Uh, so I, I want to focus in on one particular situation. Uh, when you're trying to worship in a relationship where you don't get along with the other person or they've wronged you. So let's just set that at the beginning. Uh, we're going to focus in on this one. Um, I want to start with a story where I did not do this. Um, I have plenty of stories of this. But I want to talk about one that happened when I was in third grade. Uh, <laughs> quite a few from third grade, I'm sure. But uh, so. When I was in elementary school, uh, my grade, the the boys in our grade, we had a fierce sports rivalry with the grade above us. So when we were the first graders, we always played the second graders at recess. When we were the second graders, we played the third graders. So now we're third graders and we're playing the fourth graders, and we're playing them in kickball. Um, And we're up to bat, and we're winning. We're winning four to three. Um, So we're super excited. Uh, Again, we're up to bat. Recess is almost over. So pretty sure we're going to win. And my best friend At the time. My best friend, (laughs) my best friend at the time, Ben, is up to kick Uh, and so they roll the ball to him and he just unleashes this mighty kick. The ball just sails. It's obviously gonna be a home run. He starts running around the bases. The bell rings so we win. You know, we're all celebrating. He comes around to home. We're jumping up and down like we won the World Series or something. And we're so excited and we're like, oh, we're third graders, so we want to taunt the fourth graders, of course. So we tell them, ha ha, we won five to three, we won five to three. And they say, no, no, it was only four to three, because the bell rang, and he didn't touch home before the bell rang. I'm thinking, whatever, <laughs> you guys are being sore losers, who cares? And so we get into a little argument, but it doesn't really matter, the teachers come and say, okay, line up, because we you know, had separate places on the playground where we lined up to walk back to class. And so we line up, and I look at Ben, my best friend at the time, and he is sobbing absolutely sobbing and he can like barely talk I'm like oh my gosh Ben, like what's wrong he's like it was five to three
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm like Ben it's fine like we won he's like no no it was five to three he's just like absolutely sobbing so I look at him and I'm like Ben if you're gonna be a crybaby about this I don't want to stand next to you in line <laughs> savage I know <laughs> so <laughs> So I go and I, I go to the end of the line and, and, and start hanging out with some of my, my other friends who weren't being crybabies. And, and so we're talking again, we're celebrating, we just beat the fourth graders in kickball. And then Ben starts walking towards me, Ben, my best friend, still at the time, um, he's, he's walking towards me. He, he's still crying, but he has this um, tears of anger now and, and just this rage in his eyes. And he looks at me, he doesn't say a word, he just punches me not in the face, but in a place where a man should never get punched. <laughs> and so obviously it's a one-punch knockout. I'm on the floor writhing <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in agony. Um, the teacher comes over, oh my gosh, like, Eric, are you okay? I got to go home early from school. That was nice. <laughs> it, was, it was a big deal. Like, we, we carpooled, and after that, we didn't carpool anymore, because my parents were like, well, it's Ben's fault, and they're like, "No, Eric shouldn't have said that, but yeah, but he shouldn't have hit him." Um, so we, it was a disaster. Um, but I remember what I did when I got home because I was just stunned. I had been betrayed by my best friend. Uh, I, I actually wrote down this point system, and it was a point system of different things that my friends would do, so I could determine who my real best friend is. <laughs> the rest of the the rest of the school year, and I still, I. I still, remember, I still remember very clearly the things I had on there. If you, if, you chose me, if you chose me on your team at recess, that was plus five points. If you got me a surprise gift, that was plus 10. If you punched me in the privates, that was negative 50 points. That is the highest of the scale, just so you, you know. And so I developed this point system, and Ben started off with negative 50 points, and by the end of the year, I had a new best friend, um, Adrian. Uh, Now, I I don't know if any of us have gone extreme as to actually write down a point system, but I think if you were honest with yourselves, I think we we all kind of do that in our minds. We look at how people treat us, and we assign points to it, and if someone has enough positive points, we treat them really well. It's so easy for us to, to love them and be nice to them, but if they're in the hole and have a lot of negative points, it's a lot harder, and we justify this, oh, I'm just you know, giving them what they deserve, uh, you know, we justify very easily, but I think we all have this. I mean, would you agree? Can you kind of, as you think about, think about different things that you may assign points to? Now, I think my my system has changed a little bit since when I was a kid. You know, now it looks something like, oh, if you encourage me, that really lights me up. I think that's plus five points for me now. If you cut me off in traffic, that's probably negative 10 points. Punch me in the privates, is still negative (laughs) 50. So don't try that one. Uh, But, you know, as I was thinking about this idea of the point system as I was preparing tonight, all I could think about was, I'm so thankful that God doesn't do that with us. I mean, could you imagine what it would be like if God just changed the way he loved you based on what you did, and every time you messed up and did something stupid, he would just love you a little bit less? And, And the only way that we could ever really experience God's full love is if we were perfect all the time. That would be the only way. And just keep taking that. Like, if God kept keeping the tally, you get to heaven one day. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're a couple points short. If you didn't, you know, lie that one time as you, when you were a kid. Maybe if you had given a couple more dollars at church. But sorry, you're you're just not. You don't have enough points. Can you imagine just the how horrifying that would be, and just how much pressure that would add to to our daily lives? And you know, I, I think if we actually think about it, none of us are just a couple points short. Um, You know, I think of myself, all the different times I've lied, lusted, ignored someone instead of helping them, trusted something other than God. It's just so many negative points. And if that were the system God used to interact with us, I think we would all be in a lot of trouble. Would you agree? Um, In the book of Romans, chapter 3, there's this collection of different verses from throughout the Bible, Psalms, Isaiah, Um, and this is what it says about our state as humans. Now, that seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? I think when I read that, I'm like, well, surely I'm not that bad. I mean, sure, I I lie every now and then, but I don't know if the poison of vipers is on my lips. Sure, I get angry. I don't know if my feet are swift to shed blood. But we have to remember, this is God saying this. And who is God? God is perfect. He always loves no matter what. So from his point of view, yes. We actually are that bad. You know, we all have sinned, we've gone against what God has said and and wronged him and wronged each other. So it goes on to verse 19 and 20 and, and says this, we know that whatever the law says, the law being God's ways, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of our own sin. We have nothing to say. We can't argued, no, I was good enough. There's nothing there. We have sinned. Um, by the point system, we don't deserve God's love. Uh, the Bible actually says we deserve death for our sin, even just one sin. The wages of that is death. So if God related to us in the way we tend to relate to other people, we would be in a lot of trouble. But thankfully, that is not where the book of Romans ends, is it? It goes on to say this, Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And praise God for that, right? We all have sinned, but because of Jesus, if we have faith in him, we are justified by the grace of God. We who were just a few verses ago described as, you know, swift to shed blood are are forgiven. You know, God does not give us what we deserve if we trust in Jesus. The Bible says we deserve death for our sin, but God instead offers us what we do not deserve, everlasting life through faith in Jesus. And so the rest of the book of Romans gives the exciting ramifications of what this actually means. The Bible says things like we're alive to God now. Nothing can separate us from God. We are becoming like Jesus Christ. And it's this amazing picture of what happens and what God does. Um, So we've been talking about a life of worship. And the definition we've been going off of is up there. It's worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and for what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live we've been going off of this verse in Romans as our jumping off points. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pop- proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so that word, therefore, that's everything we just talked about. It's an amazing story of the gospel and this amazing thing that God has done for us. Who he is, he is holy God, perfect God, righteous. And what has he done? He's forgiven us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Rather than leave us to try to justify ourselves by earning points in his sight, something we could never do, um, he gave us Jesus. Um, So that's when we talk about worship. That's what we're responding to. That's how we are to relate to others. You know, We are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice, just as it says right there. And what, what that means is we are to put away what we think and really follow him, change how we live. We are warned not to conform to the world. What the world says is we count points against each other. We change how we act based on you know the amount of points you have on your scoreboard, but rather our minds are to be renewed. And so Jesus gives us a lot of insight on what this actually looks like in Matthew chapter 5. And this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And he says, uh, starting in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, that idea up there of eye for an eye, that's actually a biblical concept. You see that in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, but it's a legal term. It was used to dole out just consequences for wrongdoing. It's really meant to protect people so that if you do something wrong, you're not overtly punished or not punished too less, I guess. Um, but people were using it as a way to justify retaliation and revenge. When people wronged them, they would say, oh, eye for an eye, and wrong them right back. But see, Jesus wants us to transform our minds just as God gave us what we do not deserve. When people wrong us, we are to do the same. In view of his mercy towards us, we are to show mercy as well. So he gives examples. If someone slaps you, I'll go back to the previous one. If someone slaps you, you don't slap them back. You don't insult them back. You just let it go. If someone takes something from you, you don't take things back. You just keep giving to them. If you are forced to help, you go above and beyond rather than you know, drag your feet Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that's not fair. They don't deserve it. Exactly. That's the point. You know, it's a different way of thinking. But it really does reflect how God treats us, doesn't it? You know, it really does reflect what a life of worship really is. Jesus goes on in in verse 43 to give another example, this one for praying for your enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how we usually tend to think. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And you see there he says, so that. And so really the the objective, the, the point of worship is that we see for ourselves just how good God's ways really are. You know, it says then, in Romans 12, it says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, you know, what is God's way? He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He loves and cares for everyone, every single person, regardless of how he is treated back. And I don't know about you, but that verse really bugs me. I I read that, and I look at, you know, life, and I see, you know, I I had a lot of friends in college who they just didn't care about God. They partied, had sex, and drank, and they have better careers than I have now. They seem to be doing fine. I look at that, and like, that just frustrates me. I mean, doesn't that frustrate you? It's just, I I tend to think that good people should have it easy. I call myself good. Good people should have it easy, and, and bad people should have it hard, but that's conforming back to what the world says. That's counting points against people. That's not how God does it. Rather, God loves everyone, regardless if they love him back. Now, does this mean that God is rewarding sin? No, it doesn't. There are consequences for sin, of course. But rather, what this is saying, God is not adjusting his love based on what we earn. It's just the same. He is always perfectly loving. And so Jesus, wanting us to be more like God, tells us this in the next two verses. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, we we like to do the first way. We just love people who love us, and if they don't love us, too bad. We don't love them back. But Jesus says even tax collectors, who at this time were considered the worst of the worst sinners, the people farthest from God, even they can do that. We're called to something different. We're called to be perfect, as God is perfect. God loves everyone. That is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The perfect way is to treat all people lovingly, regardless of how they treat us back. That is who he is and what he's done. And we are to respond to that. You see, worship in relationships, it's not relating to people based on their character. That's counting points. That's what we tend to do when we conform to the world. But God relates to people based on his character. God relates to people based on his character. And so if we are to worship in our relationships, when people are wronging us or we're not getting along, we are to do the same. People should not need to earn our love. We should give it freely, just as God has given it to us. And so Paul, in in Romans 12, he draws upon these exact ideas from Matthew 5. And he says this, he gives a clear example, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So there's, the first thing that he tells us is to seek to bless others, even those who do wrong against us. And remember back to the definition we're working off of, worship is expressed in and by the words we say and the way we live. So what words do we say? We don't curse people, we bless them, even if they curse us. In return, what are the things we do? We seek to bless people. When Someone we don't like is excited, we're excited for them when things are going well. And when things aren't going well, we come alongside them and help them. That's just what we do as Christians. Retaliation, thinking with points, would flip that. You know, if we we get sad when someone we don't like is is experiencing something good, and, and we rejoice when they're sad, but that's not what God tells us to do. He tells us to bless them. And the second thing he says is we should seek to restore... Relationships and live in harmony. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, so if we're wrong, we're not supposed to retaliate. Retaliation only escalates things. It makes things worse. Rather, we are to seek peace. We are to live in harmony, as far as it depends on us. Now, that doesn't mean the other person may want to live in peace with you, but you do your best to live at peace with them. Now, look, it's hard to do this, right? I mean, we can just read the Bible and say, like, oh, yeah, that's what you got to do. But this is really hard. It's hard to live at peace with someone who is constantly on your nerves. It's hard to bless people when they don't bless you back. Um, You know, I'm constantly facing the temptation just to lash out and I think the thought is I want to put people in their place. Have you ever had that thought? Like, I just want to show them they are wrong. I mean, even today, I was driving here, and I was trying to get over to the right-hand lane to make a right-hand turn, and the person, as soon as I turned on the signal, decided to speed up because they saw I was trying to change lanes and started honking at me so I wouldn't change lanes. So I was behind them, and we both turned onto the street, and my first thought is, I'm going to pass them. I'm going to rev up and pass them, and I'm going to look at them so they know that they did wrong. <laughs> and God's like, don't forget what you're talking about tonight. Um, so I, I did not. Um, but I think that temptation is, is there. I just want to put people in their place. I want to show them, you have wronged me, and I'm going to make you pay for it. So Paul says this in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, it's God's job to set things straight. Now, does this mean you just ignore wrong when it happens to you? Well, no. If you look in Matthew 5, I don't have it up there, but in Matthew five twenty-three 23 24, a little bit before where we were looking, the Bible says, you know, if you have a disagreement with someone, you, you ought to go in and talk to them about it and try to make it right. You know, we're not just to ignore this, but what this is saying is you are not responsible for doling out consequences. That's God's job. We're not supposed to do that. Rather, we are called to bless, to continue to bless. And that image there of, of heaping, burning whole, uh, coals on their head, it, it comes from some Proverbs. And the idea is that you just continue, as you continue to love them, there's almost like a pressure that builds up where they see, huh, this is very different. Maybe there's something to this love. Maybe there's something to this. And hopefully they repent. That's kind of the, the idea. But it says right there, do not over, be overcome by evil. Again, don't, um, sorry, go back one more time. Uh, Don't be overcome by evil. You know, don't retaliate. Overcome evil by good. And what is good? God's will. Again, Romans 12 says it. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we are to just love everyone. I had a roommate in college. Um, Now, you'll remember from a couple talks ago, I I spoke about my roommate who didn't wash the dishes. This is a different roommate. Um, And I don't always relate well with my roommates. Um, and we lived together up on Solo, and we had some different ideas on how things should go. And the, the, the one thing I really remember is with lights. I, one of my pet peeves is when people leave on lights. Um, thank you, Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully this story will be applicable to you. Um, I just don't like it. Um, and some of it, you know, like, oh, I don't want to be wasteful. Some of it's selfish. I don't want to pay a lot of money. Um, I, just, I just hate it, and, and, and I just absolutely hate it. Um, and this roommate of mine had the, he told me this one time, he had the mindset, well, Bonsala we're trying to be welcoming, and at like a hotel, which is very welcoming, the lights are always on, so I want to leave all the lights on. Like, well, yeah, we don't have the budget of the Marriott for, for college students. And so we just, I, I'm ashamed to say this, but we, we, <laughs> we, we definitely retaliated against each other, so we'd be sitting in the same room, the lights would be on, he would go up to go to the bathroom, Look. Turn the light off. Don't want to waste electricity. It's the middle of the day. We don't need this light on. You would come back, flip it right back on. You know, we would just do this throughout the house. And, and what, you know, we were Christians, so we were like, we got we to gotta make this right. So we, we, one day we sat together in Bonsalo. It was like the Geneva Convention. We decided <laughs> which lights could be on and which ones were off and at what times. And we were like, okay, you know, shook hands. You know. And you know what, I, I really, I, I think we both really sought to bless each other. I think we both sought to put these things into practice. We really, like, if I saw a light that was on, I just left it on. Some might be but I left it on, like, fine. Um, he would turn off lights, and again, it sounds silly, and there's other stuff going on behind it. But, um, you know, we really tried to do that. We tried to clear up relationships. Um, we, really, we really gave it our best effort. And guess what happened? You know, he still drove me up the wall. He drove me nuts. And every time I saw him, I was just like, this guy is crazy. Like, why is he doing this? And again, it's not just the lights. This is making me sound like I'm crazy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, he just frustrated me all the time. And uh, so does that mean, oh, Bible's wrong? We just got to go back to retaliation because clearly this isn't working? No. There is something missing. And Paul does not talk about it in Romans 12, but it's all over the rest of the Bible. And if you are really focusing in on who God is and what he's done... um, You know, the missing thing is forgiveness. Um, God forgives. God forgave us. Again, all those things we talked about in Romans 3, God has forgiven us, all of that. Um, And I hadn't. You know, the Bible says in in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, he has forgiven, uh, removed our transgressions from us. And I had not done that. I was still counting negative points against him. That's what it was. Um, So Ephesians 4, 31, 32, gives us a good example of um, what God wants us to do with forgiveness. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There it is again, who he is and what he's done. He has forgiven us, and in response, we're called to do the same. You know, if you can't forgive, you're not going to be able to worship in these relationships where you're butting heads and things are going wrong. You're just not. You'll still be holding on to the wrong that was done. There'll still be negative points you're holding on to. Forgiveness ties this whole thing together. You know, if God has forgiven me of so, so much, surely I can forgive someone for not turning off their lights, not doing their dishes, not doing all these little things that bug us. We can forgive people of anything because that's what God has done. Uh, I I ran into this roommate um, a couple years later after we had graduated at a wedding. And he sat behind me, and we started talking a little bit after the ceremony, and he was like, "You know what? I, uh, I was thinking back to some of that stuff at Bon Solo. I, I was in the wrong. Will you forgive me for that?" And I was totally humbled because I wasn't planning on saying that. Um, but he did. And I thought about it like, "Yeah, of course I forgive you." And you know that was, a, that was a two-way thing, like there was a lot on my end, too. Will you forgive me as well?" And he said, "Yes." And it was just like this peace just flooded over that relationship, and we're, we're good and." I, I actually haven't even seen him since or talked to him. Um, you know, we weren't, like, the closest of friends, but when I think about that relationship, it's good. Like, we're, we're clear. And so just think about in your relationships, if you did some of these things, bless them, seek to be at peace with them, forgive, and, and trust God with doling out the consequences and making things right, you know, just what, what would change? Would, would you feel better about some of those relationships? You know, I, I think we would start to see how good, pleasing, and perfect God's real, real really is if we start doing that. Now, let's be honest about something. This is not the most impressive story of forgiveness you'll ever hear. I mean, it was just turning off lights. It's, it's not like I'm telling a story about uh, the time I forgave my roommate, the axe murderer. That's, <laughs> we're just t- turning off lights. You know, it, I'm sure, in, in a, yeah, even if you're an axe murderer, <laughs> please don't kill me first. Um, but I, I think, you know, In a room this big, I'm sure there are people who who have much worse things that have happened to them and much bigger things to forgive. But again, God has forgiven us of everything, so uh, we really ought to do the same. Um, But, you know, I think think when most of us read these verses about loving your enemy and all this, we think, well, I don't really have enemies. Uh, But you know what? I think enemies can be anyone. A roommate that annoys you, a friend who says something mean to you. I like to think about it like everyday enemies. You know, you're, you're fine, and then they do something wrong, and suddenly that relationship gets messed up, and it can go downhill really, really quick. So I think we have to be really, really careful with this stuff. You know, you can have an enemy in Christian Challenge. I mean, Christian Challenge is great, but we're not perfect here. I mean, when we have disagreements. We do wrong to each other. You know, my roommate was a leader in Christian Challenge, and there was a time where I just wanted nothing to do with him. Again, not necessarily proud of that, but it's the truth. We're not perfect here. So let's go back to the definition. We've covered all of it, but that one part, corporate. It should be up on the screen. Maybe? No, it's OK. You guys remember it. Um, worship is our responsible, personal and corporate. Um, so what does the corporate part look like? How can we, as a group here, in Christian Challenge, really worship in our relationships together? Um, To answer this, I want to go back to Romans, and I want to look at the context of that book. Um, So this is a letter written to the church in Rome, and historians say that when the church was started, it was primarily made of Jews, Um, Jews who had decided that Jesus was who he said he was and decided to trust in him. Um, And over time, Gentiles, people of non-Jewish descent, started joining the church slowly, but it was primarily a, a Jewish church. And then in the year 49, the Roman emperor at the time, Claudius, he expelled all the Jews from the city of Rome. They all had to leave. And so overnight, the church went from, excuse me, primarily Jewish to primarily Gentile. And then slowly the the grip loosened and and the Jews started slowly coming back. um, And they found the church very different from when they left. And there was a lot of tension that resulted because of that. Traditions were different. Ways of thinking were different. It was just A lot of tension. And these were all believers again, but just like with me and my roommate, there was tension there. And so it's so fascinating to me that Romans, which has one of the most detailed expressions of the gospel in the entire Bible, was written as an appeal to unity in the church. It's like Neil said last week when we were talking about singing. You know, what, what brings us together is not, you know, our politics, our major, our hobbies, anything like that. What brings us together is Christ, who he is, and what he's done. And so When we're thinking about worshiping as a group, we have to look at that. Who is God? What has he done? And how can we really, as a group, emulate that? So Paul writes this to the church in Romans chapter 12, a little bit after he talks about um, what true and proper worship looks like. Now, in verses 3 through 8, which aren't up there, they're going to be the next verses. In verses 3 through 8, he talks about how the church should come together and use their different gifts to serve each other. And then he says this in verses 9 and 10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. See, this is what we as a group corporately should be trying to do. Love one another genuinely, not counting points, genuinely as God loves us. It says right there, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I think if we as Christian Challenge had a clear picture of who he is and what he's done, really who he is and what he's done for us, how he loves us, and we would really tried to do the same for other people, I think that would be really powerful. I think that would be an amazing testimony of what God's love is really like. And I'm confident in saying that because that's really why I'm standing here. Um, I joined Challenge nine years ago. And I've said it before, I've told the story, I was originally looking for love of a different type, love of a girl. um, But what I saw in Christian Challenge was God's love. You know, people just really cared for each other, and it was striking to me. Um, and they weren't perfect, obviously. They had disagreements, but the way they handled those disagreements was just, what is going on? They sought to bless each other still. They sought to clear it up. They forgave each other. I had never experienced a community like that. It was so, it was so different because it wasn't conforming to the world, what I was used to. It was really trying to do what God said and put his good, pleasing, and perfect will into practice You know, if I had shown up and seen people just retaliating, you know, I I wouldn't have come back. Um, And I don't think, and I can't say this for sure, but I don't think Challenge would have made it all these years. Um, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, that's why I'm here tonight. Um, So I, I think, really, that if we committed to doing this as a group, if we really worship God with our relationships, even when there's friction, even when it doesn't go well, I think many more people would really get to experience God's love. Now, this isn't something that just a few of us can do. We all have to do it together. But I think, man, that says a lot about who God is and what he's like, doesn't it? So, it's like Romans 12, through two says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, thank you. Um, Thank you so much for your mercy on us, that you've forgiven us even when we don't deserve it, that you've given us life even when we don't deserve it. God, I pray that you would really help us to emulate that in our relationships. God. There are people in our lives that we don't get along with, maybe even here in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would really help us to bless them, to really be like your son. Thank you so much for what you've done, God. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth and in this way that you describe in your scripture, God. It is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's the best way to go. So help us to really understand that, understand who you are, what you've done for us, and really respond to that. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much in your name. Amen.